Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Those words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you take those words into your classroom this week, I just, I'm trying to even imagine this, like what that would look like, to just stand up in the middle of your classroom and just say that. Or your workplace, or in your favorite coffee shop, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. You take those words into those environments, you better be ready for a heated argument. And words like unloving, arrogant, narrow-minded will probably be tossed around, right? In the age that we live where love has been redefined as unconditional affirmation and anything short of unconditional affirmation is hate. But in an age of love being redefined as unconditional affirmation and religious tolerance where everyone is entitled to their own truth and that's the truth that's championed, these words from Jesus are the most controversial thing that he said, at least for the world that we live in. And it's interesting, the words that we would take as a controversy in our culture, in our society, the situation surrounding these words when Jesus first spoke them wasn't like some public debate or some epic throwdown between rivals where the goal was to win an argument. That wasn't the scene that was surrounding these words when Jesus spoke them. These words were spoken in an intimate conversation between friends where the goal was to provide comfort, not an argument, but to provide comfort. I don't want us to forget those who've been tracking with us like where we are in the Gospel of John. Because we saw in John 13, in the moment that they're sitting in, Judas has just left as a traitor. Jesus has told them that he's about to leave them and they are now realizing there's gonna be a time of distance between the two of them, between him and them. And now Jesus has just informed Peter, who is kind of the pace setter among them, that actually even he will stumble. This is a time where like fear and anxiety is building among Jesus's closest friends. And it's here that he speaks these words of comfort. They're not punchy, they're actually really tender. Which makes me kind of wonder as I approach this text, how could something that was only viewed as comforting when it was first heard become so controversial today? They're like somehow over the course of 2,000 years, we have completely missed the point and went from comfort to controversy. Oh, those are fighting words. Say Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way to the Father. <laughs> but they're meant to be words of comfort in the midst of chaos. This is what he says to them in verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There are two commands here. I just want to like highlight this in verse one. There are two commands here that Jesus wants them to apply immediately and they're connected. Don't miss this. 
First, here's the first command, don't let your heart be troubled. You might go, well, how do I do that? And that's why he follows it up with another command. Believe in God, believe also in me. Guys, the goal of the gospel in one word is confidence. The goal of Jesus' working for us is confidence. Maybe you remember these words. These are actually at the end of the Gospel of John. It says this, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The goal of the gospel is confidence. That by believing in him, you'll have life in his name. Confidence, peace. Their hearts are troubled. And I wanna just say here real quickly, as not all anxiety is bad. If you look back just into chapter 13, 13, 21, we see that Jesus had trouble. It's the same word. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We see even in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, he had anxiety over the churches that he oversaw. There, there's a good anxiety, this holy restlessness that's caused by love. There, there can be good anxiety, but that's not what we have here. This is an unholy anxiety that's taking place among them. This is something different. I've heard anxiety defined I would say specifically this unholy anxiety defined as worrying about tomorrow's problems today. And anxiety begins to build when we feel like things are out of our control, which control is such an illusion. <laughs> as somebody who loves control, it's healthy for me to say that. But anxiety builds though when we're overwhelmed by life. And guys, I understand that like the times that we're living in right now, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by life, to be fearful of what's to come. We live in very anxiety-inducing times, right? And I want you to ask this question, how are we to battle anxiety and fear? Because 14.1 actually gives an answer to that. How do we battle anxiety and fear? If you're taking notes, write this down. Guys, trust in God is the antidote for a troubled heart. And don't ask me how to spell antidote. I don't know. It's like, thank God for like word correction and all that. I got something close, so. But if you want to know how to battle anxiety, hear this. Trust in God is the antidote for a troubled heart. That's what he's giving to them. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Apply this. This is like what happens when you have a child where there's a raging storm outside the house and it's shaking, the, the lightning hitting so close, the thunder just rumbling that the whole house shakes. How a child in that moment is able to find comfort in the presence of their mom or their dad because there's just peace in that presence, right? Our faith overcomes fear when our confidence in the promises of the one making the promises overpowers the fear in our hearts. That's why in fearful times, when we're prone to anxiety, we need to learn as people to cling to the promises of God. That's what faith looks like. Faith isn't some like flimsy thing, some passive thing. I have faith. 
Now, faith is a white-knuckled grip onto the promises of God, especially in the hard times, in the times where it's easy to question whether God's good or near or gracious. There were plenty of reasons for the disciples to be anxious here. I think there's a fortunate chapter break because I think Peter, of all of them, had a good reason to be anxious. Right there at the end of chapter 13, Jesus has just told him, Peter, even you, you won't even make it through one night without me. Unfortunate chapter break, so just erase it. But he says that to Peter, and then he follows it up immediately with, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he gives five promises to them that are for their comfort, and I think also good for us to hear as well. Here's reason number one for comfort. He says this, this is reason number one, God has a big house with many rooms. You see that right there in verse two, the first part of verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, if any of you ever wanna take a day trip up to Elgin, Iowa, I'd recommend it. It's a big deal. Thank you, Josh, in the back. Uh, it's the, the hometown of a few people that are a pretty big deal. Josh Larson in the back, myself here, just going to identify it. But if you ever want to go to Elgin, Iowa, you could ask me about it. I know every square inch of it by heart. I know that one of the beautiful things about my hometown is that you know that you're getting close to Elgin, Iowa when you all of a sudden start heading downhill. Because no matter what way you're coming into town, whether it's down the West Union Blacktop, past Gilbertsons, from Elyria, or through Claremont, the moment you start heading downhill into the valley, you know you're getting close. If you want to go to my parents' house, you take the Mill Street Bridge out of town, hit Acorn Road, turn east on Chariot Road, and just hug the Turkey River for 10 minutes. And between Elgin and Al-Qaeda sits a little piece of the most beautiful place you could ever imagine. That's my parents' farm. The beauty is when Jesus starts talking about heaven, there's no speculation in his voice, right? Just like when I talk about Elgin. But when Jesus is describing his father's house here, in my father's house, there are many rooms. He's not speaking with any level of speculation. He's speaking like someone does of their hometown. He knows it well. And I want you, if you have a pen, just circle that, that, that phrase there, many rooms. Because when you read that, that phrase, many rooms, I don't want you just to think about rooms. I want you to think about mercy. Like I want you to think about like, like the floodwaters of God's mercy poured out on undeserving people that will fill all of those many rooms. Isn't that a beautiful thing for Jesus to say, first off, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And just like he said to the thief on the cross, he said to him, Surely today you'll be with me in paradise. It's like now he's looking at his disciples saying, guys, in my father's house are many rooms and each of you will have one. If you have a troubled heart today, be comforted by this truth that God has a big house with many rooms. Second reason for comfort is that Jesus will take us there. Look at verse three with me. 
If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Jesus is not passive here. He's not waiting for them to figure out how to get to God themselves. And sometimes like we get lost in this. Some of us give ourselves way too much credit. Like God, I don't need as much help as like the average person. Give, give me like a little boost, maybe like a, a slight like uh, point and I'll know how to get to heaven. I'll make it there. We're good. I, you need to go help those other people. Some of us are a little overconfident. Some of us come to God in a completely different posture. Some of us think that we're just a lost cause. We think, I don't even think I have what it takes. Sorry, Jesus. I'll have to let you down as well. And I just want to look at this verse here, verse 3. And I just want to say to the overly confident and to the overly discouraged, hear these words. I will come again and take you to myself. This is the anthem of everyone that takes up residence in the Father's house. <laughs> Jesus brought me. How did I get here? Jesus brought me. Every person that takes up residence in the Father's house, that will be what they say. That'll be what they sing. That will be the anthem of their lives. It should be the anthem of our lives now. How are we going to get there? Jesus takes us. So if you have a troubled heart today, be comforted by this truth. Jesus will take you there. Reason number three for comfort, that Jesus will be there. He says also in verse three, I'm just gonna reread this again and now not highlight the words take you, but the last word. He says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you where? To myself. See, often when we talk about heaven, we celebrate the wrong things. We celebrate the people that we're going to get to see there. Hey, guys, understand this. I'm in a pretty fragile spot today. I spent all day yesterday with my family saying goodbye to my grandma. And I can't wait for a sweet reunion when not only am I able to see my grandma, I'm able to see all of the loved ones that I will have had to say goodbye to in this world. But as much as I long and look forward to the day of being reunited with my grandma, that won't be the greatest thing about heaven. But often we focus on that. That's what we talk about the most. We talk about heaven is who we're gonna see. Or if we're not talking about that, we talk about the amenities of heaven. Gold streets, can you imagine that? No more crying, no more sickness. Now listen, guys, I think puking your guts out is the worst feeling in the entire world. I never want to wrap my arms around a toilet ever again. It's going to happen here. And I look forward to a day when that doesn't happen anymore. But that also will not be the greatest thing about heaven. What verse 3 does here is it shifts our focus away from a place to a person and reminds us that the greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. We can often get this backwards. We can talk about, hey, where heaven is, there's Jesus. Now, the reality is it's, it's the other way around. Where Jesus is, that's heaven. Can you imagine a place of indescribable beauty? Well, there's no cancer. There's no death. There's no crying. There's no pain. 
where generations upon generations of fellow believers are gathered together from all over the globe are brought in to one place. Can you imagine a place like that? And then recognize that Jesus is greater than all of those things. That's the beauty of Christ. That's the beauty of Christ. So if you're troubled today, be comforted by this truth. That Jesus will be there when he takes us to his father's house. That was a great comfort to the disciples. It's a comfort to us. Reason number four for comfort. Jesus has prepared everything. He says this, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Twice, two times in these verses, Jesus uses the phrase, prepare a place for you. And when we read those words, what needs to come to our minds, because it definitely came to their minds, was this picture of a groom looking his bride in the eyes and saying, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to get things ready. I'm coming back for you. And their thought is, of course he is. <laughs> what well, groom says that to his bride and doesn't come back? He's going to prepare things for her. Now, when you see the words prepare, because I understand we all watch a lot of HGTV, you probably start thinking, so is heaven some like cosmic fixer upper? Maybe Jesus is like this divine combination. I think that's a magical thought, like a divine combination of Chip and Joanna Gaines, like all in one person. So is Jesus, when he's saying that he's like going to prepare a place for us, like, is it all messy up there? And he's got to like clean the rooms and get it ready. Because I know how that works at our house. When you see that phrase, going to prepare a place for you, think of this, it's not renovations in heaven, but it's a crucifixion on earth. The rooms are ready, but the way to get there isn't, at least at this point. Our guilt and deserved judgment still block the way, but every obstacle between us and our room in the Father's house is about to be removed in three days. When you read these words, I'm going to prepare a place for you and understand where he's sitting with them on that Thursday night, I want you to think forward just a little bit to what's about to happen. And I want you to think of blood-infused drops of sweat to think of betrayal, to think of desertion, to think of the mocking of the masses, and to think of a bloodstained cross. And I want you to think of these words as well. It is finished. And those words are something glorious, right, Van, when you're able to look back at a project that you've completed, some flip of a house done and go, it's finished. It's a whole nother thing to say the path now between broken sinners and my father has been cleared of every obstacle. Their punishment paid in full that if a person would just simply trust that what I did, I did for them and place their faith in me. 
Every work is done. Everything is ready. Everything's finished. If you have a troubled heart today, be comforted by this truth. And then reason number five for comfort is the way to the Father's house is clear. Jesus said to them in verse four, you know where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, and you could hear the panic in his voice. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then these key words, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we live in a world where people have bumper stickers that say, my God is too big for any religion. Or people that have yard signs that say, we all worship God in our own ways. That's the world that we live in. And while these sentiments sound great and sound super loving, they're completely incoherent. Let me just unpack this here real quick for you. Um, Guys, at the center of our faith, at the center of what we believe, we believe that Jesus physically died and then rose again for our salvation. That's what we believe. And Paul says, if that didn't happen, we should be pitied among everybody else and our faith is worthless, okay? So that's, that's what Paul said. And that's what we believe. Here's what some other major religions say about Jesus, okay? If you're a Jew, you believe that Jesus died, but stayed dead. If you're a Muslim, you believe that Jesus didn't die, but he appeared to die and then went to heaven. If you're a Buddhist, you don't even have a category for Jesus. Maybe like a teacher or something. I hadn't really thought about that one. Hindus would say, sure. Well, there's got room for one more God, but he's gonna have to share the devotion, our worship with about 300 million other gods. So is he okay with that? See, we can't say that Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and Hindus are all right about Jesus. That's just not an option. So when we say, oh, my God is too big for any one religion, it makes it sound like we disagree over like small things, like, like inconsequential things. No, 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 like, like we're disagreeing about stuff at the core. And we just need to be honest with the fact that Jesus never gave us that option. Jesus is very exclusive. He didn't say, well, this, this is one option and here's another one. He never meant to be unclear. And so these sentiments that we can read on bumper stickers or on signs, they might seem in a way like loving or like, like, like they're tolerant or whatever. They're just completely incoherent. And on, additionally, on top of it, what I want to do is change the narrative because they sound loving, but they're not. In fact, that, that statement, that sentiment isn't loving at all because I believe that clarity is loving. Let me just unpack this for you. Talk about clarity being a loving thing. If I get lost in the city of Minneapolis trying to get to the airport and I pull over and I ask somebody, hey, can you tell me where the airport is? And they give me some vague like, eh, it's like over there. You gonna feel very loved by that? Or maybe you've had this experience before. Maybe you haven't gotten lost in Minneapolis. That's just me. Um, You ever had like car issues where like your car continually dies in like intersections? Like that's the only time it ever dies. It's like major intersections, really embarrassing. That was my life for a good portion of of it. So, um, but then you go to the mechanic shop, right? Mechanic comes out and he goes, you know, we're not actually sure what's going on with the car. So we're just going to try this. Does that feel very loving to you? No. 
That's because clarity is loving. Clarity on top of it is, is a comfort. This is why when we find that lump on our body and we go to the doctor's office and we're asking them, like, what, what is this? And we sit in that, that moment between, like, all of the testing and them telling us what's going on. We've had this conversation before, right? Where people are like, I don't even care at this point if it's like a swollen lymph node or cancer. I just want to know what it is so that we can deal with it. Because knowing is way better than not knowing the uncertainty of it all. But because our God is loving, he's not ambiguous. He's clear. And the fact that Jesus is clear in this moment doesn't mean that he's mean. He's being clear because he loves us so much. Do you want to know how to get to my father's house? I'm going to make it abundantly clear and very simple. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And where we live in a world that claims multiple paths, Jesus is the path. Acts 4.12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And when the world claims that there's multiple truths, Jesus is the only truth. John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And where the world claims that there are multiple ways to find life, Jesus is the only life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And this incredible question that we all need to ask ourselves, do you believe this? Because I'm telling you, if the promises of verses one through six are your reality in life, then everything can go bad, right? You can watch your friend get betrayed, beaten, and crucified. You can watch yourself fail him in ways you never expected that you would. Cancer can take your hair. Taliban can blow up your airports. The whole world can seemingly go mad. And yet at the end of it, in the midst of all that's going on in the world, you can sit here in comfort and peace saying, Jesus is enough. He's enough. I love that quote that says, the man who has Jesus and everything has no more than the man who has Jesus and nothing else. These verses here, verses one through six, these are promises of a groom to a bride of unshakable certainty. And if you're growing anxious, you're battling a level of anxiety, or you're walking through life clueless and going, I don't know what's gonna happen to me when I die. Jesus is offering you the sweetest gift ever of abundant clarity. You want life? You wanna move from being dead to being alive? 
You want unshakable hope no matter what's going on in the world? Here it is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In closing though, I wanna remind us here, church, these are words of great comfort. They're also words of a commission. Because if we believe that, that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, what does that have to mean for us? What does that mean? Likely many of you have seen the movie Titanic. It's a classic, younger generation. Maybe not. I'm gonna try this. Because remember that epic scene in Titanic where like they've hit the iceberg and Jack and Rose, who, yeah, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. What a dream, right? Yeah, so, but they're, they're like walking around on the, the deck and they seem to have an awareness that something bad has taken place. And they, they talk to the ship's architect, right? Because what's weird is they hit the iceberg, but everybody else is like, like music's still playing, drinks are still flowing. People are still eating food and they're like kicking the ice chunks around on the deck. Like this is fun because in their minds, like there's no way the Titanic will ever sink. And you remember that conversation and that Jack and Rose have with the architect at that moment where he's honest enough with them to say, the ship's gonna be at the bottom of the Atlantic within an hour. We don't have enough lifeboats please find one. And then he throws these words out and tell only who you must because I don't want to create a panic. Guys, as we apply that into where we are today, a lot of people walk around us thinking that this world is going to go on unsinkable forever. And I'm telling you, this ship is going down. And Jesus is not like the ship's architect who's going, don't, don't, you know, tell only who you must because I just don't want to create a panic. We only have so many lifeboats, can't save everybody anyway. His is totally different. He's looking at us and saying, tell everybody. <laughs> they all need to know. I got lifeboats for them all. It's me. But today I looked at it, guys. 7.89 billion people and counting in this world. Two-thirds of them either don't know Jesus, don't want Jesus, or have never even heard the name Jesus. And so the words that we hear today, yeah, are absolutely words of incredible comfort. But we need to also feel the responsibility that comes with them. You have now been entrusted with this message. The church is God's plan A to bring about the salvation of the nations and there's no plan B. Words of comfort, words of a commission. That's why we say it all the time. We are a sent people. We gotta do something with these words beyond just personalizing them for us. They're for everybody. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. for the incredible clarity and hope of the gospel that is unshakable that I being dead in my transgressions and sins, doing just by nature what people do from birth, that was me, an object of your wrath, deserving fully your judgment, that you being rich in mercy sent 
Jesus to make me alive, to pay for my punishment in himself, and then to do what no human would ever be able to do, to not only be able to take on that punishment, but then to rise and conquer above it all because you are the great God of the universe and nothing is more powerful than you, not even death itself. So you took the most powerful thing that we know and you disarmed it. That those who trust in you, those who place their faith in you have a hope that lasts beyond this world that I can stand at my own grandmother's funeral and because of her faith, I can say she never died Died. Those in Christ never die. Because that's what you said, Jesus. And we take you at your word. We trust in your promises of life. They are a comfort to us. They are a joy to us. They cause us to sing so loudly it blows the roof off this place. And it causes us to go out of this place with a mission, with a burning passion. That everybody that we know at least have the opportunity to hear this message clearly and to trust you themselves, to find a lifeboat, to get off a sinking ship and into the eternal, incredible, beautiful home, but better than that, the loving arms of their Savior forever. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.